Welcome to episode 41 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show of the 90s ever made. Oh, which, oh, caught us out there. I was about to say the late show. Uh, oh, so it isn't the best show ever made? No. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, it, in, it is debatable, isn't it? <laughs> really is. Anyway, of insert title of the show here. This show is really going to challenge it. But, <laughs> yeah, as, in, will. as in like... As in, like, top show of the 90s, because this is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is a show by the D-Generation team, Working Dog, uh, but other comedy tidbits as well. So this is what this podcast is about. So this time we're talking about the secret third season of The Late Show. <laughs> uh, not many people have seen that one. No. <laughs> Including all of us. <laughs> but before I elaborate, I just want to welcome back the team. Alison, Daniel, Kim... And Prue. My name is Matt and I'm feeling a little bit rusty because we've been on hiatus for quite a while. So I just want to say thank you everyone for coming back. So we are talking about a particular show. We'll get to that shortly. However, we have... Well, it's not really back chat, but... We will get to the whole point of this, and that is we've there's a lot that's happened since we were taken off podcast air, and <laughs> you can see all the information on all the news of what's happening with the world of Working Dog and DGen and any other associates to them. By the way, just a disclaimer that this podcast has nothing to do with the DGen, the Working Dog, ABC, or any other uh, connections with them. This is a fan driven podcast, so. Yeah. We're uh, just fans of the WDU. They had the anniversary of the Late Show as well, the 30th anniversary, and what they did instead was interviews. Tony appearing on Mad as Hell, as well as Jane Kennedy popping up on Studio 10, Rob Sitch on uh, radio interviews as well, like on WSFM with Jonesy and Amanda, and in other shows around Australia too. Did anyone catch any other bits and pieces of their appearances uh, talking about the Late Show? No. I don't think so. God, it seems so long ago. Yeah, yeah apart from the ones you <laughs> mentioned, they, they were the main ones. Uh, certainly uh, we've been living and breathing it for the past two years. It was no news to us, but a lot of people suddenly were caught with, oh, I forgot all about this show. And then there were lots of memories and, and lots of new fans and lots of uh, new people joining our, our Facebook page as well. Yeah, so welcome everyone for that too. And this is what this episode or this podcast is all about. And we're taking that next step. Let me take you back to 1994 and hopefully this will trigger some memories. Getting the theme here? Yeah. Heartbreak High, remember that? The Zone, the review gaming show. That was one big ad for Sega Mega Drive, wasn't it? Amazing. <laughs> big ad for Nintendo. Blue Healers, come on. Bob Morrison Show. 
God, everything <laughs> just sounded the same. There's a rat. <laughs> He's a leader of the bunch. Kids show, Ferals. ABC. Called Mardigliana. She's fluffy, but she's tough. Hello and welcome to the show. On tonight's program, we're speaking to the very... Seriously, you are talking nonsense. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> what you have to say. Yeah, where's he now? Which is on the line. Mary, good evening. Man, oh man. Man, oh man. <laughs> so how's that for a time warp? That last two, Alan Jones Live, you know, the long-running series of Alan Jones Live and Man, oh man. So uh, hopefully that gets you into the mind frame of 1994. And there was also another show, uh, I don't know what it's called. Hello, I'm Mike Moore. Welcome to Frontline. Shall we all sing it? Yeah. Shall we all sing it? I'll do the drama. Yeah, okay. Here we Hello, go. Oh, I'm Mike Moore. Yeah, so do the, I'll do the typing here. I'm doing the typing. Yeah. I think I'll probably explode if I keep singing that. But we're talking about Frontline, uh, and that was the satirical uh, current affairs show. Think real life. Think 60 Minutes. Think a current affair. Think Alan Jones' life. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, think... Uh, Not that. <laughs> 7.30 Report. Uh, you know, all of them. Two things really hit me when I started watching the episode. I was like, this is the greatest theme song of all time. I don't think it's gotten enough yep. accolades. <laughs> It's such a shame we couldn't hear it because it's so great. <laughs> the other thing that really jumps out at me, and I know I'm probably going to keep mentioning it because I can't get over myself. It's one of those things that I should probably just deal with and move on, but I still cannot. And that is I really cannot stand the terrible VHS quality. It's just so grainy. It's like watching a program through a glass of milk. I just can't. Yeah. I just... It's, it's, a bit, it's a bit like if you take any YouTube video and change the setting so it's at 240p, yes. it's like that mm. crappy Yeah, quality. And I know it's really unfair because there's a lot of merit in the style of filming that they did and that's great and I'm sure we'll talk about it. But at the end of the day, it's like, what is it, 20 whatever years later or nearly 30 or something and it's like it looks shit <laughs> i don't really want to watch it <laughs> i don't mind the little the kind of unpolished look with sato and his little high handy cam and it's kind of one of those early mockumentary style shows that, that um and then you have the contrast of the studio shots as well um mm. but yeah we take it for granted with all the 4k stuff nowadays and that's all we want to see and also, you know, televisions have got a higher quality resolution, so maybe it didn't look so bad back in the 90s. Yeah. It, it definitely didn't because, I mean, I noticed how grainy it was as well, but that's because I'm watching it on an HD big screen television, yeah. you know. Uh, but I, I don't mind the style of it. I, I think it looks, it, it, I mean, you can see what's happening, so so that's one thing achieved. Yeah. How did we all watch the, the series, by the way? Did we all... Because uh, 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 obviously uh, we've all got it on DVD, I'm guessing. Yeah, I was too lazy yep. to fire yep. up my DVD player, so I just streamed it. Because <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's 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 also <laughs> available. Like this, this is the the interesting thing uh, with this series compared to the Late Show is that all of you listening to us 
you have the opportunity to watch the series along with us because uh, it's available. It's certainly available on uh, Netflix in Australia. I think it might also be on Stan, perhaps. Correct. Yeah, that's how so I watched it. Yeah. So you, you all, you all have the opportunity to watch these episodes and uh, um, really know what we're talking about. As well as I view too. It's looking like it's not. I'm just uh, having a look uh, on my phone here. It's looking like it's not on iView, but um, God, bluey bloody is. <laughs> yeah, it says this program is not currently available ah. in ABC iView. Okay. Mm. You do, you do give, go to the landing page. This is, this is why you get it on DVD, kids, because they can never take it away from you. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, uh, because Frontline uh, started... I guess the first quarter of 1994, here are a couple of teasers really of when the ball was starting to roll because people wanted the late show back. They would go, where's the third season? When, when it's happening? But it didn't come to fruition because everyone started to go their own different ways. I found in research for this podcast, uh, I found an article from the Sydney Morning Herald and this is from 14th of February, 1994. And in the antenna or antennae, column which is all about tv radio so forth it's like it's like a gossip column pretty much for media yeah uh saying that some members of the late shows degeneration are to make a sitcom for the abc rob sitch tony martin and jane kennedy are believed to be working on the project which features goings on behind the scenes in a tacky variety tv show the abc's head of comedy in melbourne ted robinson declined the comment saying the details are under wraps so what was the transmission date of Frontline? We'll get to that shortly, but oh, I might as well say it now. It was May the yeah. 9th. Right. And what was the date of that article? February 14. Because I remember still holding on to hope. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, yeah I, I, was, I was holding my little candle as well. Yeah, same. Well, this I will admit uh, 1994 was the year that I always looked in the TV guide or TV week to see the late show pop up again on ABC. And then one day it started to saying the late show with David Letterman on channel yeah. nine. <laughs> and I'm going, Oh, they're gone commercial. It's not the first time they've done that, but I was thinking, Oh, the late show on David Letterman. Yeah. There's still some hope. There's still some hope. No, yeah. I spent a full year doing that. I think there's probably something <laughs> worth, you know, going over the, the trauma. Of, of not having the late show back. It, it was really like we didn't really get an explanation. We just got a new thing and it was only half of them and it was completely different. And, yeah, it was. I think if you were a young fan, it was tough. It was like t- tough shit, kid. It was. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was leaping through the old school newspaper, which I, I brought the wrong copy with me, but... Someone reviewed Frontline and basically just said, no, it's no good. It was too highbrow for them. They were just, uh, you know, t- hanging out for the late show. I, I was in two minds about it. I, I enjoyed seeing half the cast back and I was interested in media as a career and so that interested me as well. But, I, you know, deep down I was disappointed that I didn't have the old gang back for the late yeah. show. Yeah, yeah I, I was disappointed as well, but... Um... I watched Frontline and what was kind of interesting about Frontline was my parents wanted to watch it as well. They didn't want to watch The Late Show, but they would sit down to watch Frontline. And basically, you know, because all the teachers watched Frontline as well, we would have discussions in the class the next day about that the previous night's Frontline and everyone watched it and everyone really liked it. And 
you know, I wanted to see The Late Show too. And I had seen Judith and Tony and Mick do stand up at the Adelaide Fringe in 1994, which was February, I think, 94. And so I'd, I'd kind of, um, you know, seen that and that was really good. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I like both things. Yeah. I, I think Frontline's brilliant. Just re rewatching the first episode, I just went, wow. I mean, that that is a start to a series. That's out of the blocks. Brilliant. But we'll get to that. And yeah. why? Yeah. I think, too, there's something in um, whether or not you're at school. Because when you're at school, you have yeah. that connection to who else is watching it and you you sort of go over a show a little bit more fine detail. But when you're sort of off on your own in the world, either at uni or a job or whatever, you're a bit like, I'm sad that I don't have my old show. Who do I talk about that with? <laughs> mm. I will say I do have an update on the Antenna article, too, because only... About two weeks later, on the 28th of Feb, that is reported antennae hears. Is it antennae or antenna? Antenna. Because it's spelled with an A-E. Yeah. Antennae. Antennae, yeah. Antennae hears that the Degeneration sitcom, a plot of which is now being made for the ABC, is set in the current affairs office of a television station. Other details are being kept hush-hush. So that's like a, (laughs) we were wrong. So what date was that one? Two weeks later. On the 28th okay. of the 2nd. So the previous one was on the 14th. Mm. I, I'm wondering, actually, when I first read that article about how they were going to do a series set in a TV variety show, I just thought, oh, are they putting out misinformation there? <laughs> you know, or, or is someone, is some journalist hearing some kind of half-baked rumour and they're going with it? Because, you know, Tony was never involved in, in Frontline. No. And, and he was never going to be involved in, in this project with them. So... I think it's some kind of half-baked rumour that they've heard and haven't managed to verify because Working Dog are very good at keeping secrets. Well, they probably threw in the, oh, yeah, it's something about Daryl Summers or you know, or someone <laughs> to, uh, having a ribbing at Hey Hey at the time. I'd love to see that program. If someone made a behind-the-scenes of, of a Hey Hey-like program, I would be there. <laughs> well, see, one, one of the things... Um, I don't think, hopefully I'm not getting too ahead of myself, but one of the things I was thinking um, in uh, preparing for for this season of the podcast is whether Frontline could be made today. And I think probably the only way you could do it would be to take it away from current affairs. And I think you could very reliably do it um, with either a a breakfast TV type show, like your Mm -hmm. Sunrise or Today, or maybe even some sort of loose amalgam of uh, something like The Project. I'd love like a, a satirical yeah. behind-the-scenes look at The Project, especially considering they, uh, um, over the summer, they were airing um, promos for the, uh, for the 2023 season, which um, I, I certainly wasn't the only one to draw comparisons to Frontline's One Big Family. Yes, I know exactly which one you're talking about too. It's a really interesting question because I actually think that Frontline was groundbreaking in a way in this country because it it began the erosion of trust in media. It was like it sort of, I think people used to watch Channel 9 news thinking it was great and now we would be very mistrustful of Fairfax media and Murdoch media and stuff like that. So I don't know, maybe we couldn't really have the same revelations. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to to reboot it for the the new era with social media. You've got uh, Mike Moore, who's a very kind of 
polished he's got his image and then you know if you let him loose on twitter who knows what he'd come up with kind of thing and you know that i could i just imagine those sorts of things happening and um obviously all, all the feedback that you'd get from from viewers as well and yeah i think it'd yeah. be really interesting to reboot frontline maybe mike moore could be a, a mentor for a new generation teaching people <laughs> Well, see, one, one of the things that's also been interesting going back 30 years is seeing how far the media has changed. This is pre-internet, pre-multi-channels, pre-digital, pre-media conglomerates merging. I have got another instalment of Antennae, and that is from a from City Morning Herald again uh, on the 4th of the 4th. So it's the 4th of April, 1994, and now after all the gossip and stirring has gone on it says now after all the hoo-ha about abc shows moving to melbourne and brisbane to take up staff slack and use available production facilities some in the abc were surprised to hear that the new degeneration comedy show frontline is to be made by an outside production house with very little use of abc crew and facilities degeneration agent michael hirsch good old hershey uh, confirmed that the production would be by Frontline TV Productions, a new company formed to make the show. It's a different style of thing from Backchat, which is moving to Brisbane, so this is 1994, and TV TV moving to Melbourne oh, because TV, it is... TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a throwback. Uh, because it is not live or studio-based, Hirsch said. Most of it is shot entirely on location by the independent production house. And he said some... ABC staff were being used for the 10 half-hour shows and that some ABC equipment will be used, but that's all. Mm, I do think that did piss people off, didn't it? That's what I've heard. At the beginning, I'd say, so, yeah. Whereas these days, it's pretty much de rigueur, really. And then another article, this is my last article, on the 8th of May, so the day before the actual broadcast, which was Frontline. Uh, the remnants of the degeneration are back, not with more sketch comedy, but a series of 10 half-hour program episodes, which sounds suspiciously like SBS British import dropped a dead donkey. Although the producers of Frontline insist there is no connection between the two. Dropped a dead donkey was a hell of a lot more topical. Yep. And yeah. it was a, a traditional sitcom. It had gags. It was in front of an yeah. audience. Yeah. They've described Frontline as a contemporary current affairs program operating on an unspecified commercial television network. And among the DGEN people taking part are Rob Search and Jane Kennedy. Rob plays the host of the show, Mike Moore. Jane Kennedy plays Brooke, a reporter whose ambition is to be the next to, to be Australia's next yarn event. So that summarises it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the paper. <laughs> Daniel Genie's program guide, sort of. <laughs> hey, hang on, hang on. Surely you should have that, um, the footage of, of the PA bringing in the TV week or something instead of Tony I'll make sure. Go, I've got the paper. <laughs> I yeah, will it seems so that. weird hearing a late show grab in. Now that, now that, now that, now that we're yeah. moving away from it. Yeah, I feel like we need to update, update. Let's have the theme song in a front line sort of petiche. <laughs> Sorry, <Daniel>. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work on it. I do apologise. It, it has been a couple of months. Anyhow, um, yeah, going on with the program guide, considering that we're shifting time slots, uh, this is going to be slightly different. 
So does anybody remember the time slot uh, that Frontline was given by the ABC? 8.30 Monday, was it? Oh, very, very was close. It, it was 8 9 o'clock, o'clock Monday. Okay. No, it was, it was 8, 8 o'clock, o'clock Monday. Monday. <laughs> so so, so right, right after 7.30, or well, the 7.30 yeah. report as it was then, yes. Yeah, so basically in the, well, uh, in amongst the programs like uh, Four Corners and Media Watch and the 7.30 report, and it does seem kind of out of place nowadays when you've got shows like Australian Story and Backroads in that uh, 8 o'clock Monday time slot nowadays. Looking through the program guides, I was sort of thinking there may not be that much variation compared to Saturday nights. So I don't know whether I'm going to do this for every episode, but um, certainly for this first episode, it's interesting to see what was on each channel. I'm going to run through as quickly as I can uh, what was going on from the evening news to the late news. So uh, starting off on Channel 7, 6 o'clock, 7 nightly news. Uh, Then at 6.30pm, we had Real Life, hosted by Stan Grant. Then at 7 o'clock, Home and Away. Uh, According to the uh, the listing here, Jack's rendezvous with Angel lands him in the wrong bed. And Sarah finds herself with one too many dates for the debutante ball. Ah, the the shaded Angel era. Yeah, the (laughs) Angel era. Oh, Oh, one, one other thing is that because this guide is not from the Saturday age... Uh, we also lose our uh, Ross Warnicky uh, writing his own listings himself and putting his own comments in. So uh, we won't. Yeah, there we go. We will not hear that very often. <laughs> so, yeah, these are just stock standard listings. Um, moving on, at 7.30, we've got a little bit of a split here. In Melbourne was an episode of Talk to the Animals. Vet Dr. Harry Cooper hosts a series for animal lovers. Whereas in Sydney, they had an episode of MacGyver. Now, I wasn't able to uh, find out what episode this was, but the, the description here, well, somehow it seems to be proving that uh, Saturday Night Live uh, piss take right. MacGyver discovers a nuclear weapons plant. That's, pr- that's pretty much every episode of that MacGruber send, uh, send up, wasn't it? I hope he was wearing protection. Then uh, Sydney and Melbourne rejoin and uh, have the same movie at 8.30pm, Three Men and a Little Lady. Oh, <laughs> Any, anybody have sequel? I, I yeah. sadly, the, I, I liked I the original. Movies. I liked the original. Uh, very quick synopsis: uh, Three bachelors face the prospect of losing their adopted daughter when the child's mother decides to marry and move to England. Then at ten forty, another movie called Mothers, Daughters, and Lovers, a nineteen eighty nine drama starring Helen Shaver and Claude Akins. A single mother struggles to build a life for herself and her children. Um, and the night finishes at 12.05 with two hours of the NBC Today show. Moving across to Channel 9, uh, news at 6 o'clock, A Current Affair hosted by Ray Martin at 6.30, Sale of the Century with Glenn Ridge at 7pm. Then at 7.30, we've got Murphy Brown, Season 6, Episode 17, The Anchorman, uh, which aired in the US back in January of 94. Jim Dial, the veteran news anchor for FYI, the show within the show, Invests in a piano bar, unaware that it is a gay meeting place. Gee, nothing uh, problematic about that these days, would there be? <laughs> I'm sure it's handled very, very sensitively. <laughs> well, for 1994 <laughs> standards, I'm sure. Yes. Then at 8 o'clock, um, a relatively new sitcom, Frasier. Wow. Love that. Yeah. So so long ago, and, and another one of these sitcoms that's getting a streaming reboot. Uh, up against Frontline, uh, we had uh, Season 1, Episode 8, Beloved Infidel. 
uh, which aired in the US in November 93. Fraser suspects that his father once had an affair with an old family friend. Then at 8.30, we've got, uh, they've classified it as a movie, but really, I suppose you could call this a miniseries just about. It's an episode of the uh, Scottish ITV crime drama Taggart. Ooh, Taggart. Yes. Uh, a, so, a largely incomprehensible program, if I remember, because <laughs> no, no one could understand what anyone was saying in it. This is three episodes uh, that aired back to back. Um, of like a short storyline called Death Without Dishonour. A Scottish army base and a deserted Glasgow street are both the scene of tragic accidents. Three years later, Taggart and his team believe there may be a connection. It seems there may be a hidden agenda when the prosecuting barrister is found muddunt. Oh, very nice. Lots of muddunt. <laughs> muddunt. In a, place like, in a um, place like Glasgow, yes. Um, and uh, finishing off the night, night line at 11.15. Um, over to Channel 10, uh, we've got 10 news first at 5. Then The Simpsons at 6 o'clock. Uh, it's the Dance and Homer episode, Season 2, Episode 5. Homer's heckling of the Springfield Isotopes baseball team during one of their games inadvertently leads to his appointment as the new team mascot. Then at 6.30, Neighbours, Cheryl feels pressured by Lou's public marriage proposal. And Rick awaits Sally's response to his proposal. Everybody's just proposing to each other. Then at 7 o'clock, we've got an episode of Roseanne. Funnily enough, you mentioned Alan Jones Live. Basically, Alan Jones Live had been asked, I can't quite tell when, but it might have been one or two weeks prior. Because some of the guides say, uh, well, certainly over the last week or so, it was Roseanne, but it might have been, are you being served repeats? <laughs> um, just before then, but that might have just been to plug the gap. Yeah, we're not we're not uh, we're not commenting on that one. Wasn't the Australian version with Shane Bourne and uh, you know June oh, Bromhill? Oh, I wish. Really? Yeah. I Is that, that still on YouTube? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was an Australian version, only one series, and they got John Inman to come over. It was shot in Melbourne. So you, oh there's there's this amazing footage of John Inman coming out of the train station in Melbourne. June Bronhill in the Mrs. Slocum role and Shane Bourne as the kind of young male sales assistant role. And I can't remember who the <laughs> other people were, but it was it was and also it was the same scripts as Britain except updated for Australian references. So and it was about as good as as you might imagine. Was it called Are You Being Served Down Under? No, it was. I think it was just called "Are You Being Served," but it. But oh. it, instead of having that kind of rap, kind of crash register theme song, it had an actual song. Oh no! So, <laughs> so not yeah, the regurgitator version. Uh, no, no, not not that one. Uh, given it was made in 1982, no. no. But anyway, I'm sure it's out there on on YouTube or torrents or something. I I may have seen it via one of those methods. So yeah, Alan Jones out, Roseanne in. Uh, season two, episode six, Five of a Kind. Uh, Roseanne is perturbed when a friend of Dan's plants a passionate kiss on her during Dan's weekly poker night with his buddies. And this is apparently the first appearance of Tom Arnold as Arnie. Oh, when they were married, yeah. Then at 7.30, we've got Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. So, again... <laughs> what was the late term under? Healthy, Woggy? Wealthy and Woggy. <laughs> so, uh, again, according to the listing, Ronnie Burns plants a cottage garden that will bloom in spring. Jim Brown visits Tasmania's Freysonet National Park. And Ross Greenwood looks at the latest mobile phones. 
And geez, I hope he does a bit more than that. I hope he talks about them too. <laughs> if anyone is interested in the latest mobile phones, I've got my uh, 10th anniversary Good Weekend magazine here. And there's quite a number of uh, ads for the mobile phones, including the, the latest uh, Nokia, where you can actually save people's uh, addresses. And there's a various ringtone. So nothing comes close to it except admirers, the Nokia 232. It's the absolute analogue. that's exactly what it says anything on the motorola jazz (laughs) oh there is actually there's a vodafone ad somewhere i'll have to flick through and find it um there's a fabulous mobile phone in this episode of frontline when we eventually get to it by the way (laughs) yeah that was still chunky back then (laughs) it's chunky right and it's got a wobbly antenna as well this is the ad here the vodafone it's basically a picture of a, a mobile with a wobbly antenna and some stilts because it's very unwell. It's broken its leg or something. So it's basically saying um, Vodafone is moving to digital. So <laughs> it's saying, well, um, you know, well, you'll be aware that analog has some drawbacks. Voice quality is not great. Congested system can lead to cross lines and dropouts and anyone with a scanner can listen in, as we know from, um, you know, Diana. Um, these are some of the reasons why the Australian government has chosen to adopt the superior technology of mobile digital. Wow. Wow. Uh, then at 8.30, if you loved all that comedy and lifestyle, you've then got a dramatic movie at 8.30 called The Music Box, starring Jessica Lange and Armin Mueller-Stahl. A Chicago lawyer defends her Hungarian immigrant father accused of having committed heinous war crimes during World War II. Fun for all the family there. Uh, Armin Mueller-Stahl uh, no... was in, uh, uh, what's its face? Um, Shine, wasn't he? He was the dad in Shine. Oh, yeah. And then rounding out things at 11.05, the 10 late news, and 11.35, sports tonight. Second last of all, SBS, uh, so World News at 6.30. Dateline presented by Paul Murphy at 7 o'clock. You forget that uh, SBS had a weeknight current affairs show, Gosh, don't you? They must have had some seriously good funding back then. <laughs> exactly. Although, mind you, no, I was about to say this is pre-the advertising days. No, it wasn't, because wasn't that? I think that started in 1990 for the World Cup from memory. Anyhow... At 7.30, uh, there's a show called The Talk Show. Mary Kostakidis talks to comedy writer John Vorhouse and comedians Nick Giannopoulos and Mandy Salomon. So, again, I hope that he was uh, proving the uh, pistache uh, from the late show wrong. I'm holding up a mirror to multicultural society. <laughs> uh, then at 8pm, a show called Maiden Voyages, a British series following women travellers across the globe. Two English women visit Belize to investigate claims of the burgeoning eco-tourist industry. I think the only thing uh, separating uh, then from now is that um, I don't know if they're doing it on a bloody train. If they're going to Belize, they probably wouldn't be on a train, I'm, I'm guessing, unless it's an underground train. Uh, at 8.30, we've got Masterpiece, The African Face of Cornel, uh, a program documenting Dutch artist Cornelis Cornel's return to Africa and then at 9.30, uh, the movie The Frontier, 1991 Spanish drama starring Patricio Contreras and Gloria Lasso. When a Chilean leftist is banished to a remote island, he forms a relationship with the community's only woman. So I think very appropriate for a 9.30 time slot. All right, last of all, let's get into it, the ABC. 7 o'clock, ABC News. Uh, the 7.30 reports, oh, obviously at 7.30. <laughs> and they would have been state-based editions. I couldn't find from the program guide. I haven't looked far enough as to who was hosting in Sydney, but uh, it was Mary Della Hunty hosting in Melbourne. Then at 8 o'clock, Frontline, 
Uh, the listing uh, in The Age uh, that morning said that it's the first of a new 10-part series satirising television current affairs programmes featuring the D-Generations Rob Sitch, Jane Kennedy, Tom Gleisner and Santa Chilaro. Now, uh, spoiler alert, it's not 10 parts, it's 13 parts this season. Then at 8.30, we've got Four Corners, uh, hosted by Andrew Ollie. Then at 9.15, Media Watch. And uh, it's the OG hosted by Stuart Littlemore. Hey. Like, Media Watch is still bloody good, but you can't beat Stuart Littlemore Media Watch for mine. Then at 9.30, let's see if you remember this one, This Sporting Life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Not quite, but We're basically it was uh, it was yeah, basically a half-hour version of the, the Triple J Saturday oh. Afternoon Stable. That's was cool. that the one so, where yeah, the, they Nelson... were sat at these black desks and they had weird camera angles sort of coming in at the... Yeah. 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 That's the one. I seem, I seem to remember, although I'm not quite sure if I remember it correctly, that the show just sort of just faded out sort of like mid-conversation mid just about. Is that just me? I don't remember well, that aspect of it. Well, maybe they did, yeah. It's the kind of thing they would have done in the 90s. Then uh, at 10 o'clock, uh, the Arts Programme Review. Uh, and then at 10.30, Late Line, hosted by Kerry O'Brien. That bloke with so... the pen, yes. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we'll get to that. So it's, it's kind of interesting seeing where Frontline fits, it's especially considering what the Monday lineup looks like now, which is just news, current affairs, you know, uh, Q&A, Q and uh, returning to Mondays after its brief dalliance with uh, a low-rating Thursday night, um, like you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think of running comedy on Monday nights now, but um, yeah, somehow uh, they thought of that in 1994. Yeah, that's the program guide. Um, I don't know what else to say apart from uh, let's get into it. Forget the Bob Morrison show when it comes to cutting-edge contemporary satire. The most memorable characters. Please explain. I want the job, but I don't want to cut my hair. Tell me who has said it to you. Um... Fact, anyone? No, we haven't. Would you? Um, no. To give you an accurate answer, I need to know exactly what type of cake. If the answer to a birthday cake is so complex, you do have a problem with the overall GST, don't you? Sometimes, Frontline looks frighteningly familiar. Hello, I'm Matt. This is the Souffle Rises broadcast Monday, May 9, 1994, season one, episode one. <laughs> I tried to get that as quick as possible, <laughs> but I'm going to have to leave a longer gap. <laughs> uh, so the synopsis of Frontline Season 1, Episode 1, The Souffle Rises. Uh, Mike uh, is angered by accusations of being a lightweight and decides to editorialise. Such a, a decision sparks a rash of complications. Meanwhile, Brooke and Marty have their hands full with more important matters. So I have a question. Why do you think it was called the Souffle Rises? I, I think what I've it's got saying. No idea. I think what it's saying is that Mike. It's about Mike being a lightweight, and and oh, oh okay, and yeah, is yeah. He's a, he's a lightweight. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. This this. Show, I mean, what you see across the whole three series of Frontline is you see Mike more gradually become more and more famous. You know, I mean. It, spoilers, but in series three, he's suddenly the massivest thing in the whole of Australian television. At the moment, he's kind of struggling, but you can see his his ego, at least, anyway, is becoming very much an inflated souffle. And it's it's really it's really on show in that very first scene um, where he's uh, he's in the three AW radio studio with um, 
Neil Mitchell. Okay, we'll go to calls. What do you think, Sandra? About Mike Moore? Yeah. Very nice. I saw that Richard Carlton interview you were talking about on 60 Minutes. It was a disgrace. Well, how do you compare it to the one that Mike did with the Prime Minister last week? Oh, I didn't see it. You watch Frontline? No, but I think he's very nice. Okay, we'll take another call. Leonie, go ahead, Leonie. I didn't see it either, Neil, but I think Mark's a very good host, very fair. Thank you, Leonie. Thank you. I try to present a, uh, well, a balanced uh, viewpoint in all matters, but if there's some head-kicking to be done, I won't back away from it. All right, we'll take another call. Tula, go ahead, Tula. Hi, you are a very nice man. Very kind to people on, on your show. The look on Rob Stitch's face, just absolutely fuming as he's called the nice guy of current affairs. It just, it's, it's, it absolutely sets everything up for, for, this, for the series, let alone the season. Well, not long after that, they were in the office and when Marty was telling the urban legend about the baby spiders and stuff like that, he, here's the thing, right? It's not until this re-watch after the billionth time, right? But this <laughs> watch uh, for this podcast, did you notice a certain person in the background? Was it Tom? Tom Geiser. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Tom, he made that because when I was looking at um, what appearances he made in Frontline uh, and he played the photocopier repair guy and it said that he appeared in episode one and I've gone, no, he didn't. I never saw him. There he was <laughs> right there. It's it's like a blink and miss at Tom. He's moment. in the background and of almost, there. yeah, he's in the background of almost every scene though. If if you look, he's he's kind of there. And, and actually, if, you, if yeah. you have the book, Frontline, the story behind the story behind the scenes, there's actually a character, his name, <laughs> yeah. look, every, everyone, everyone gets, gets the their book. book out, right? The name of the character <laughs> is Colin Conacher. <laughs> And we d- we don't know we don't know anything about him. It says here Where on page twenty, right? Page twenty. Oh, yeah. 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 See, we don't we don't know anything about him. Colin Conacher, photocopy repairman. That's it. There's no character profile, sadly. But I'd love to read a character profile of Colin Conacher, but alas, there is not one. Yeah. And isn't it <laughs> such a coincidence that his that the family name that he gets. Just happens to be, uh, just happens to correspond with uh, his profession. It's an well, amazing it's probably, coincidence, yeah. isn't it's it? A family business. <laughs> well, Colin Toshiba doesn't really work out, does it? No. <laughs> you need well, you need a different actor for that. Film. <laughs> Before we move further on into it. When it comes to why Rob was acting as Mike, uh, why Jane was Brooke, and why Santo was. Jeffrey, the weather guy, and also Tom, appearing in that. When we actually interviewed Santo for ChampagneComedy.com, he actually uh, mentions in the interview that why they chose themselves as particular actors or particular characters. The only reason we performed in Frontline is that we just figured it would take too long to explain to better actors how to perform stuff. So you go, you know what, even though we're not very good actors, let's just do it ourselves because it's just quicker. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stuff that we've done in our careers, we've decided to act ourselves. Because, like, like, apart from Rob, who's a very good actor, we're all pretty shit-ass actors. But we do it ourselves because it's just quicker. That's ridiculous. They're not shit-ass actors. They're only ragging on themselves. But then again, you're going to get a Gold Logie Award winner actor or some major award-winning person to be a photocopy repair person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, Brian Brown. He would be perfect for it. <laughs> He, he, he would no, be no, the no, he was, paper, he was, wouldn't he, he, from the tree stump? 
<laughs> but um, yeah, some other um, things as well, like uh, Mike busy playing with his Game Boy. Oh, the Boy. Game Boy, uh, yeah. And... I know. The technology in this episode yeah. was The other thing about the Game Boy so is, like the Game you Boy. see the original scene with the Game Boy where, you know, he's trying to hide that he's playing the Game Boy and then the sound is still going and, you know, that's really funny and everything. But the Game Boy just permanently is on his desk. Like, later on when he's interviewed by people from a newspaper, the Game Boy is just sitting there. But what, what I, I, th- I think a really brilliant character detail about Mike Moore is that his office, like his office desk, is completely empty. There's nothing on it at all. Yeah. He, he clearly sits around and does nothing all day except stress about his public profile and read TV Week and play the Game Boy. Yeah, yeah. He's got nothing else going on. He's not. He's not coming up with stories. His job is just to read the auto cue. That's it. Nothing. Yeah. The stark uh, realization that he's just not using the internet. Like that's a, that was like wild. Yeah, because there's, <laughs> no, there's no internet. Wikipedia Britannica. There's, there's no internet in 1994. I think it was. Well, there there was, I think it but was in 94, yeah, it it hadn't really broken through at that point. There was but, no World Wide Web. <laughs> but it it's it's interesting though because like you imagine that the host of a current affairs show is probably spending their whole day reading newspapers, researching stories, you know, getting involved in it. Nah, he's just there to read the auto cue. He's nothing. <laughs> yeah, and you got um, Marty. You got Martin Nastasio, who's out in the office, smack bang in the middle yeah. of everything at all, just yeah. absorbing it all. So it's it's a major comparison in between the profiles. Yeah, yeah, they do set that scene really beautifully. Like even the um, the other editors, they're sort of talking over each other, and they're really loud and sort of arguing about stories. And there's just Mike, you know, flipping through TV week. And playing the game for. And he's seen as an irritant around the office. They they want to get rid of him, so they put him in this office with a, with a Game Boy. In this moment, too, we also get introduced to uh, everyone's favourite weatherman, Jeffrey Salter, played by Santo. Yes. Well, he, he's basically a foil for, for Mike's sort of confidence problems and, and ego. He does get a character profile in this book. It's a, it's a very interesting profile, read it out. It is, actually. Jeff was born and bred in Mount Gambia. Now... You know, anyone <laughs> hilarious. Any, it, well, exactly. You know, not only have they picked somewhere in South Australia, they've picked somewhere a bit shit in South Australia. It, it's not Adelaide for once, although we discover he graduated from Earth Sciences at Flinders University. So there you go. There's your Adelaide reference. Um, and then he took up a job as researcher at the South Australian Bureau of Meteorology. Okay, we get it. You think South Australia's funny? <laughs> yeah. To be fair, we to be fair, we're hilarious. Um, <laughs> His rise to fame was meteoric, or as Jeff might say, meteorological. Ha. Okay. <laughs> Within two years, he was the Bureau's environmental affairs spokesperson and appeared in several nature documentaries. Jeff was snapped up by SES Channel 8, where he presented the weekend weather for three years before coming to the, quote, Big Smoke, where he enjoys the status of chief state forecaster. On air, his affable style and impressive sense of humour have earned him a legion of fans. There is even a Jeff Salter Appreciation Society at one particular TAFE college. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff drives a Mazda 121, although on smog alert days he cycles to work, has an Irish setter called Bobo and is quite an accomplished magician, although from memory we never see his magic skills throughout the entire series of of Frontline. 
We do He's get to see his cartooning skills. We we do actually. Yes. So anyway, I think I think the conclusion is that Jeff is basically a massive dork from South Australia. Although really, um, his profile's held up quite well over the years. He sounds like a pretty cool guy that you'd want to hang out with. Someone on Smog Alert days. The, these days, he'd be he'd be quite cool on TikTok, you know, doing magic tricks and cycling to work, and you know, all the all the kids had really talking about him. synaptic yeah. patterns. Yeah, yeah, he'd he'd have like a Facebook page, you know. Yeah, I was going to say that the Jeff Salter Appreciation Society sounds like a Facebook group. Yeah, it yeah, does. Hard to see if it exists. We all all knew Santo <laughs> from his you know Weatherman Late Show days, so wondering whether that cold front could get your eye out and all that sort of thing. <laughs> so he's right all, at home. I'm all a bit squiggly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out for the H. And and really, you could see somebody like Jeff being friends with someone like Mike. Yeah. And it really is a lovely friendship, isn't it? Yeah. Like, there's sort of that scene where they're sitting next to the coffee machine and, you know, it just, it's sort of like the Rob Santo dynamic that we know. But again, you learn so much about Mike Moore from the way that he kind of cuts over Jeff slightly and the way that Jeff is very deferential to him. You know, Jeff realises that in the rankings of TV stars, Mike is above him. But there is under, underneath it, there's a, there's a genuine friendship, I think. I'm just going to say there are some really funny lines that come out of it. And again, if you read this frontline book, which has got the script in it, you can see that a, a lot of it was obviously improvised around the script. But one that they did write down was he's talking about Mike is talking about his anxieties about not seeing as being seen as hard hitting, and he says, "Well, they obviously didn't see my run in with Jackie McDonald, you know." And then, then, <laughs> then later on, they talk about the famous Kamal walkout, you know, and, and so you think, well, if anything, that sort of emphasises what a lightweight he is. So uh, yeah, we find out that uh, Frontline's got John Hewson for an interview, and. Um, Basically, Jeff eggs Mike on to uh, really go in hard on Dr. Hewson. Now, you're about to unveil some major new policy statements in the area of social welfare. Yes, and we're very excited well, about these plans. Well, don't you think plans. that's a little cynical? I mean, prior to last election, you didn't have a single social welfare initiative. Now, yes, we did. Well, re- well, would you like to name one? Look, I'll name five. We plan to increase expenditure on childcare, provide tax relief for self-funded retirees, increase the budget for women's health, boost the funding for the mentally ill and pump $300 million, that's $300 million into the non-government welfare sector. And I can show you the policy statements if you want. Well, no, I mean, I mean that's all ancient history now. Hang on, you brought it up. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, then I'll bring up something else. <laughs> and it just gets more awkward from there. Yeah. But it does reflect uh, and mimic <laughs> something that happened not long before that. Uh, yeah. Was it... Yeah, and that was the infamous GST birthday cake interview on The Current mm, Affair. It's almost like a right of reply. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which uh, Dr John Hewson had a chat with Mike Willisey in regards to trying to explain the GST. If I buy a birthday cake from a cake shop and, there, and GST is in place, do I pay more or less? Well, it will depend whether cakes today in that shop are subject to sales tax or they're not. Firstly, and they may have a sales tax on them. Let's assume that they don't have a sales tax on them, and then, then that that birthday cake is going to be sales tax free. Then, of course, you wouldn't pay. It would be exempt. It would, so there would be no GST on it under our system. If it was a, one with a sales tax today, it would attract the GST, 
and then the difference would be the difference between the two taxes, whatever the sales tax rate is on birthday cakes, how it's decorated, because there'll be sales tax perhaps on some of the decorations as well. And then, of course, the price, the price will reflect that accordingly. You tell us in what you've published that the cost of cake goes down, hmm. the cost of confectionery goes up. That's right. And there's and icing and maybe ice cream. And then there's candles on top of it. That's right. Now, that's the difficult... That's what I'm addressing in, in the question. To, to give you an accurate answer, <laughs> I need to know exactly what type of cake to, to give a detailed answer. I mean, oh. if it's just a cake from a cake shop that is not presently subject to sales yeah, tax, okay. it will not attract the GST. But isn't, isn't but that... But if it is a cake shop, it's cake from a shop that has sales tax and it's decorated and candles, as you say, that attract sales tax, then, of course, we scrap the sales tax yeah. before the GST okay, would but be imposed. It's just an example. If the answer to a birthday cake is so complex... You do have a problem with the overall GST, don't you? Well, the difficulty we've got in that example is people don't know how much tax they already pay. 30 years later, still oh. doesn't make sense. <laughs> it, was, it, it was not a good look, even at the time. Yeah. It just... Oh. Well, in the... And that was so, an era so, which tolerated so longer answers from politicians, yeah. you know. It was actually interesting hearing something that was trying to be educated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. mind that now. It's, like, it's a refreshing yeah, change, fine. isn't it? I actually reached out to Dr. John Hewson to see if appearing on Frontline, write a reply just to take the mickey out of himself to see how much of a challenge it was to be on the show. Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a general challenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually struggled to get in contact with him because I did try to phone him up. Oh, it's it's John Hewson here from Telecom Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? That's what. <laughs> uh, uh, but personally, very yeah, well. Thank done. you. I did actually did try to reach out to him uh, via email, and I didn't get a response in time. So, uh, Dr. John Hewson, if you're listening or whatever, you're more than welcome to come on and uh, yeah, give us. Uh, you write a reply for appearing on the on Frontline and to take the mickey out of yourself. You can uncover a few clues about maybe what happened in the recording from, again, looking at the script and comparing it to what actually went out. Because the the bit just before they do the, before Mike Moore does the interview with him, you can see John Hewson's trying to rattle Mike a bit. And, and he says, you've yeah. got a bit of sweat on your brow there. And that's not in the script, right? And then there's there's other stuff where he talks about his social affairs policy or whatever it is. That's also not in the script. So my my theory, having compared what's on screen and what's in the script, is that the performers got the script, but then they kind of, when they performed it, they sort of improvised slightly around it. And I'm guessing the sweat on the brow thing maybe came during that process. And so it's kind of interesting, the idea that they got non-professional actors like you know, a politician essentially to maybe join them in their kind of improv game. So anyway, if anyone, yeah. if anyone was there and knows, I'd, I'd love to know more about that. But that's what seems to have happened when they made the show. That's what I was going to say. It's like credit where it's due. John Hewson really did do a very good um, performance yeah. for a politician. Yeah. Um, because interesting, in a note on the scripts, on page 17, Laurie Zion actually sort of talks about how there's not much ad-libbing. The scripts are pretty much stuck to. So I don't know, maybe maybe they felt like he could actually talk about his policies. Like maybe there was a bit where they sort of said, you know what you're doing, 
go for it. Well, does he know what he's doing? I don't know. I, I've always found this this <laughs> John Hewson appearance a bit weird because it contradicts so much what we all think about John Hewson, which that which was essentially, you know, he couldn't explain his complicated GST and he was crap and he was so bad he got replaced by um, Alexander Downer. And that that's basically the kind of memory we're left with. And what this feels like is is they said, oh, Dr. Houston will come on your sitcom if he's going to come out of it looking good. And that that's my theory. I reckon that's the only reason he agreed to do it. And he does come out of this having really nailed Mike Moore and looking really strong. Although in the end, of course, he was so crap that Alexander Downer toppled him. So maybe that didn't work so well. Kudos for trying. Mm. Yeah. Dr. But- John just didn't have the ratings. Nope. It's interesting seeing uh, Dr. Hewson uh, bringing out the uh, the TV ratings and uh, basically going to uh, Mike Moore, well, gee, you're not popular either. Because it, <laughs> it basically, it, it reminds me of something similar that happened. I think it was Pauline Hanson uh, really giving it to, I think it was Carl Stepanovic on the Today Show. And basically it was... Pretty much a similar exchange. Maybe she studied. studied Carl, this Carl, Carl, Carl saying to Hanson, "You're not popular," and Hanson going to Carl, "She, you know, you're not rating well either." Yeah. What? What a. Yeah, what a about bit, What about yeah. him, Isn't it? That was more or less a part one of the episode because everything kind of finished up there, then moved into the next day. Mike's car park being stuffed under construction. So Brian, to please Mike, takes uh, switches car park spots. Other stories they're covering, um, the child prodigy trying to play piano and Marty D'Astasio, uh struggles to get decent footage and just and <laughs> something out of it. Man, that was so cringeworthy. It was great. I just, I, It just beggars belief, doesn't it? An eight-year-old getting into Melbourne University? I don't think so. <laughs> also, Mike uh, buys a cappuccino machine. A very lightweight-looking uh, cappuccino machine when he brings it in. It looked more like a uh, prototype Nespresso machine. It's a Gargia machine. Yeah, I tried to Google that, the. Um, yeah. yeah, I tried to Google the model, but I oh, couldn't find the exact. Yeah, my partner found one. it online. He, he found it. Oh, really? Uh, someone in America bought it in a yard sale for about ten dollars. <laughs> um, many years later, but I, I think it's a, a Gargia baby. I think they do very small espresso machines. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, probably just a, a nod to the whole like cafe culture and just a, I think Santo was at home there <laughs> operating that. The idea that you might be able to do this at home, I think that was the first time that cappuccino machines were available for your kitchen. Yeah, although most of us were just doing plunger. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I, do, I do like the subtle fingering of Jeffrey's coffee as well. To get the bits out. Break the scalded yeah. milk off. I, I, think, I think I might have burnt that bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other than Brooke being instructed to do a story on breast implants, uh, Mike talks about the car park privileges with Jeff uh, while having uh, a little coffee. So you just go up and down, do you? Yeah, that's right. Oh, that's what I wanted to tell you. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Jeff, mm-hmm. they've dug up my car space for the third time this year. What? Yeah, they better not be putting in another speed hub. But you've already got three to go over. That's not fair. You know I asked Brian about getting a roof for an <laughs> undercover car park. Yeah, yeah, Apparently yeah. you've got to be in sales. No, 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 that's not true. I'd go see the general manager about Guess where this. Brooke gets to park? Don't Have me. a guess. Lifestyle. Behind news. That's concrete. Oh, no, behind concrete. That's smooth. I thought it was 10 years you had to be. It's <laughs> favouritism. I love the hierarchy around the car <laughs> park <concrete>. spaces. <laughs> yes. You know, if you get a smooth car park. I thought that was great, though. Yeah. Yeah. 
But the fact that he already had three speed humps in his car yeah. park space. <laughs> but uh, Dom also recites, who, who was in earshot of Marty's story, his spider story, uh, recites the story but with mice instead. Sort of Chinese whispers effect. Is a nice subtle little thing. That, that bit that you just played, I don't think that's in the script either. No, it isn't. No, it isn't that yeah. bit. And this is this is my point. I mean, you know, it might be true that they didn't really do much improvisation, except that they kind of did. They improvised around the idea of the script. Mm. So they just extended what was there on the page rather than just literally come up with it. And I would argue they made it funnier by doing it, doing it yeah, that way. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Because it's did. actually, I find, I'm going to be rude now. I'm sorry. But I find this script book incredibly tedious. It's got no real jokes in it. <laughs> I'm so awful, aren't I? <laughs> Off the podcast. Well, I'm never. I'm never I, think, I think. I think it's just. It, I think it's just that when you uh, write it down on paper, it's not as funny as when it's. Yeah, yeah it's out. not. It's not when alive. It needs to come alive from people yeah. saying the lines. Plus, also, it, it it probably it probably says a lot about um, all of the people who are playing all of the the different roles. Yeah. It's hard to think of, you know, anyone apart from Bruno Lawrence playing pro- uh, executive producer Brian or, you know, Terry Mora playing Martin D'Astasio. They bring something that's not on the page. Back to Marty, though, with trying to get his story going with the musical Prodigy. He realises that the story's a bit of a fail, so he tries to escape uh, in the car. See you later. Let's go, mate. Please, can we just go? Young Doing. I want another car on start. Yeah, I want to get back to the bloody. Oh, this is not happening, mate. Um, Can you fix this? Yeah, great. Do you mate. Know anything about this? There's a battery there, and there's oil goes through. I don't need. I don't need humans. Can you fix it, Jace? I think it's your alternator. It's an impressive line, though. One line, one line, and the rest of the afternoon he just stands to sit there, not playing a piano. Yep. If only nice he'd way, come nice to talk to him about it. cars. Yeah. That's yeah. what he should have done. Maybe that's what ended up on air. But Mike also hits some controversy when he has an unscripted political comment about the Macedonian issue. And again, this is again goaded on by Jeff mm. going, you're the host of the yes. show. Yeah. Why don't yeah. you have an opinion? He starts receiving and, death And uh, boy, does he. It's hilarious, isn't it, this? It's like the most intelligent thing Mike has ever said. However, it's revoltingly opinionated. <laughs> yes. And I just love how Marty starts playing mind games with him as well throughout the office. And yeah. Especially popping the balloon. I was just going to say before we get to the shenanigans in the office, after Mike gives his spray on the um, Greece-Macedonia issue, um, there's a bit where they, while he's doing it on live on air, and they cut to the control room and you've got Brian and Emma sitting there. And there's a cut line, which I read in the script and thought, oh, that's a good line. And then um, it's not actually used in the show. And I, I realise why. Emma says, as Mike does his editorial, oh, it's like the final scene of Tootsie. And they, they cut that line. And it, it's quite a funny line, especially if you know the reference. But I realise why they cut the line. And it's because while it's really funny, it would completely detract from the dramatic moment. I really quite like the end of um, Mike's speech, well, opinion, um, and then he goes, and after the break, we pucker up for someone's The Art of Kissing. It's just this... <laughs> so, yeah, naturally, after this uh, burst of opinion, uh, Brian 
uh, choose Mike out. And basically, this is sort of one of the hallmarks, I think, of Frontline is that it seems to impart these sort of lessons about the media. And this is certainly, this is, this is like a reading from the book of Brian. It is just image power. Current affairs hosts do not give opinions. Yana does. Yana has never, ever expressed a personal opinion in her whole life. She interviews someone from the Greek community about racial violence. She doesn't go, I think you're a bunch of psychos. She says, it is alleged that you are a bunch of psychos. Yeah, I think the key, I think the key lesson was um, you can say whatever you like as long as you're not the one saying it. So make sure it's not on, not you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Brian really does come out with the moral of the story. I suppose if you're a kid studying this in whatever year they studied it, this would be the scene that you would look at. And that's the beautiful trick. And hilariously, Mike Moore is eating a Magnum at the same time. I was really distracted by that. Yeah, I was going to say Magnums. That's when they came out around that era, wasn't it? Isn't that brilliant? <laughs> the, the beer with the Magnum, it so undercuts Mike's authority and the fact so that he's waving this half-eaten yeah. Magnum around. It, it's so brilliant. I mean, basically every everything in this program has they've thought about absolutely every single element you know from the just things people are casually holding to stuff in the background it's in, it's such a rich text frontline this is about this is what i thought when i saw um brian's lesson about how current affairs works so this idea that you know you can say whatever you want to someone as long as you say it's other people saying other people say that you're this or that right and when I heard that, I thought, that's true, except sometimes when it's not. Why do people stop us in the street almost and tell us that Margaret Thatcher isn't just inflexible, she's not just single-minded, on occasion she's plain pig-headed and won't be told by Would anyone. Would you tell me who has stopped you in the street and said that? Ordinary Britons. Where? In conversation. But I thought you had just come from Belize. Oh, this is not the first time we've been here. Will you tell me who and where and when? Ordinary Britons in restaurants, in How cabs. Many? How many? I would say at least one in two. I'm sorry, it's an expression I've never heard. Tell me who has said it to you, when These, these are where. people that we meet in passing. But and we obviously raise the question of the, the state of their country with them. And they tell us, yes, we have a tough part Prime Minister, but she's a little bit pig-headed. She won't be told by anybody. Isn't this interesting? Even the tone of voice you're using is changing from what you used earlier. I remember that. I remember watching that with my mum. Isn't that awful? Oh, that that accent, that who and where and why and when and what. Because that's, what, no, I, just that's what I actually remember, <laughs> that she was like, what are their names? I remember her, I feel like I remember oh. her saying, who are they, where do they live? And it was like, uh-oh. It's kind of like terrifying. your school, school principal or something telling you off. <laughs> Nowadays, you just copy and paste someone's Twitter response. Yep. <laughs> this person said apologies it. <laughs> to channel 9 60 minutes that's where that audio grab was from the infamous grab but yeah it's interesting so that so there is a way to get around you know that people say you're this and, Call and them that's out who did it. it yeah yeah exactly um but mike uh, eventually gets called out for his comments and gets interviewed oh, by journalists proper journalists about his knowledge on the history of greece are you aware that there's a world of difference between the cultures of Greece and those of the northern Slavic Macedonians? Oh, yeah, yeah, they're different. Uh, who makes the dips? So, I, uh, my, my partner's Greek, so he was able to translate um, the, oh, the bits where they great. talk in Greece. In Gre they, they talk in <laughs> Greek, so that the lady is basically um, translating what Mike says to the other man. He's, 
she's saying, oh, he's talking about how he um, studied a play of Pythagoras, the mathematician, and basically they call him stupid. So, <laughs> so she's enough. like saying to him, um, from what I can understand, he wants a recipe for tzatziki because he's talking about Jeez. the dips. So, and then he, <laughs> then the man says that guy's a monkey. Forget about him. And um, there's no reason for us to even talk about it. And um, then they just basically call him stupid. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. This this bit is kind of like a list sketch. He kind of lists absolutely anything you can think of about Greece, and and again, it just proves what a complete idiot Mike Moore is. Yeah. Although, mind you, this was all at the request of uh, Jan, the network head of publicity. Again, another um, inspired casting choice there. Uh, she's brilliant. She's such. She's kind of my favourite character. Jan. Yeah. Gen- 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 Genevieve Moy. Uh, yeah, putting on that, putting on that English accent, and you know, absolutely calling everybody darling. Yeah, I love how they sort of um, recreate this character in. Um, uh, Utopia. This is like the Kitty Flanagan character, Mark II. You know, and 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 pro- probably just as uh, smart as well, uh, considering that uh, she didn't know that Con the Fruiterer was a character. <laughs> oh, is, oh, is is that the joke? Oh, I get that now. <laughs> I thought I got the line slightly wrong, but, but anyway, I, if only I had the script to hand, I, I could I could redo it. I don't need to have a clip from the show. <laughs> I've noticed that there's. A little bit more in the script uh, talking about uh, whether Mike has any Greek friends. George Denikian, George Kapinaris, George anyone. George Negus. (laughs) No, maybe not George Negus. (laughs) (laughs) That does lead into my favourite part of the episode, and that is all about um, trying to find or interview the Aussie legend uh, inspired by the current affair promo about Maury Fields. So Brian sends Brooke to do a story on Ugly Dave Gray. You know, being a comedian really does educate you. It really does, because I remember when I was a kid at school, I couldn't spell the word entertainer. Now I are one. <laughs> uh, Dave, what are your earliest memories of television? Hang on, I haven't heard that one myself. <laughs> and there's plenty more, but <laughs> just a sample. It's pretty much just it's pretty much just Dave being Dave, really. Yeah. Was that actually in the? I don't have a, a copy of the scripts. Was that all in the script as well, or was that also just improv? It's it's different bad jokes. So so they've in the script they've got some sort of d- ugly Dave Gray esque kind of jokes, but he does completely different ones to what's in the script. But also, yeah, the script what, is this is worse. <laughs> it's really yeah. really terrible misogynistic jokes. Yes. But but also this is this is kind of the first bit where we see a sustained bit of Brooke because she's only kind of been in the episode just in little bits so far. And one of the things we pick up about her character is that she's got no sense of humour whatsoever. Now, I'm not saying that ugly Dave's Graves jokes are, are brilliant, but doesn't even pretend to laugh at it. I think we have a little bit of a hint earlier on when they don't send her off to do the genius child thing. They're like, no, if she hates kids, she'll just yeah, scare she'll yeah. terrify him. Yeah. <laughs> but as that interview continues on, um, because he starts hinting that he's got some heart problems or whatever, and he just brushes them off, and he ends up dropping dead. <laughs> so that's harsh, but brilliant. He was hoping to come back further on. I do have a grab from Tony Martin had his radio show, Get This, and Jane Kennedy was on. Somebody who does live in Queensland and who was in, I think, the very first episode of Frontline was Ugly Dave Gray. Correct, yes. And I, this is, <laughs> do you mind if I tell this story on air about Ugly Dave? Go ahead. Because he died, didn't he, in the yes, episode? that's right. I think there was a very moving <laughs> shot of uh, 
of a stretcher <laughs> being loaded into a, a hearse with just a cigar. That's right. It. it was a hand with a big chunky ring <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and a cigar still smouldering. Well, I remember Tom Gleisner showed me a script and apparently Ugly Dave had gone, my character could come back. That's right. He Even though he was dead. <laughs> and he wrote a scene for Frontline. Well, don't worry, McLeod's daughter's apparently going to do that, bring <laughs> characters back from the dead, oh, so it still happens. But, but I'm saying to Tom, but if he's dead and it's meant to be real life, how does Ugly Dave come back? Is it, does his twin brother <laughs> yeah, arrive? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And Tom showed me a script, a very fine script that Ugly Dave it had was. But it just wasn't really Frontline. It was more sort of carry-on nurse. <laughs> and it was him. He wasn't dead at all, and he wakes up in hospital and immediately just grabs a bird's ass. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> it truly was, actually. It was a pretty wacky direction for Frontline F2. Yes, episode two episodes in, we thought that was a bit of a stretch. I mean, he does grab Brooke Vandenberg's ass, which may explain why she doesn't like him and laugh at his jokes, but... Um... Is he still alive? He is, yeah. Frontline didn't kill him no, off. No, it's good. based on the Gold Coast. Um, I did attempt to reach out to Ugly, uh, for the Champagne Comedy Podcast, and I got ugly. Yay! Oh, hang on a second. Hang on. Let me get this right. You wanted Ugly Dave Gray to talk about working on that episode of Frontline, which was a lot of fun, you would assume, if you were Ugly Dave Gray. Stories about current affairs and personalities and news, rumours, all that kind of stuff. But you couldn't get Ugly Dave Gray, so you thought you'd get me, Ugly Phil. Really? This is the most half assed thing I've ever heard. I watched Frontline though and I liked it. Thank you, Ugly Phil. <laughs> I did it? say I got ugly. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you're not lying. Can't sue us. We're getting ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Ugly Phil, for that. <laughs> uh, I have one memory of Ugly Phil when I did a work experience at a radio station and I handed him his mail and I said, Here's your mail. And he said, Thanks very much. So he was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> he was polite to the work experience kid. That's important. <laughs> and at the time, you can hear Ugly Phil on WSFM uh, straight after Jonesy and Amanda. So uh, thanks. <laughs> uh, thanks for being a good sport for that. But I did actually try to reach out to Ugly Dave Gray. He's actually really hard to find. He's not on the socials then. No, he's <laughs> not really. But uh, other than that, uh, Mike did receive death threats uh, or direct death threat on the phone. Um, I need to discover it was Marty D'Astasio, <laughs> really awkwardly. He's calling him on, on a really chunky 1990s mobile phone with a sort of flexible antenna, which is yeah. quite good. Most likely analogue. Uh, not the Nokia 232? No, it could have <laughs> been. Could have been. Most likely. The brick phone. Yeah. There were some really heavier ones out there. Back in that back in that era, that was relatively small. I thought, apart from the antenna. <laughs> I I guess it just looks pretty chunky compared to phones now. Yeah. Yes. And to wrap up the events for, from the show, uh, Brian finds out that someone vandalised Mark's car. Yay! Only to realise it was his because he parked in Mark's. Yeah. Spot. The payoff. Oh, it was a brilliant payoff. <laughs> and and also the the way that um, Bruno acts it out because in the script it just says Brian slumps and sort of the way that 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 Bruno as Brian slinks off and hits the uh, running sheet uh, you know on his uh, by his thigh and sort of goes you can you can you can just like he says nothing but you can just see the rage it's just it's 
perfect acting just from Brian yeah, Swipes. Great. There's just one last thing I, I want to bring up. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to go through all the the credits, but um, did anybody notice uh, one bit of pedantry that was in the credits? No, because I watched it on streaming and it was like, here's the next episode. <laughs> About two seconds after they started rolling. Uh, so. Okay, you skipped. The yeah. End. No. Okay. So, did anybody notice just after the written, produced, and directed by directed by Santo, Tom, Jane, and Rob, where it says? Uh, uh, what the the company is that that produced produced it? by Frontline Television Productions Proprietary Limited in association with the the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Ah, <laughs> that's oh, it. They repeated that. The mm. the so and I I, ch- I checked on Netflix to see like they haven't corrected it. No. But Netflix oh, what or a shame. Like that. So again, it's a stupid note to end on, but I just had to just just for for Matt to get out the pedantry set one more time. I'll give it the official. Thank you for making that effort. <laughs> All right, well, that concludes Season 1, Episode 1, Frontline, The Souffle Rises, as well as Champagne Comedy Podcast, Episode 41. I can't believe it. We made it this far. We finally got there. Oh, goodness gracious. So I just want to say thank you very much, Kim, Prue, Daniel, and Allison, for coming back after such a hiatus. Also, thank you very much to you, the listener, who's still subscribed to the podcast. And, yeah, now that, now that you've got the opportunity to watch the episodes with us, um, you know, we'd love to hear what you think as well. So, you know, there's plenty of ways you can get in contact. Exactly. Uh, you can contact us via email, champagnelateshow at gmail.com, Twitter at TLS Champagne, uh, the website, champagnecomedy.com, uh, and Facebook, the Late Show page, and uh, you can't really miss it, as well as search for Champagne Comedy Podcast Group on Facebook. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're in. And also our merchandise site, uh, bit.ly slash champagnecomedy, where you could buy our crappy merch and, you know, help pay for the subscription for these video, the videos and recordings and stuff like that. We all do this voluntary and for fun. So, uh, you know, every eight and a half cents counts. So, uh, again, thank you as always, uh, (laughs) Daniel, Kim and Prue. Uh, My name is Matt and this is the end of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So thanks very much for listening. Stay subscribed, share the love, and uh, we really appreciate the support. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions. mattfulton.com.au This is the most half-assed thing I've ever heard.